from Los Angeles, California. This is The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. This is a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Part of a guy here. Speedy? Yeah. Put you to work. All How about it? What you got for us today? Texas Playboy Rag. All right. We're back with part three of our conversation with L.A.-based therapist Riley K. Smith. Inside Riley's bubble, we learn how he stays active into his eighth decade. We share our thoughts on the art of therapy and briefly detour to discuss the effect of hallucinogenics on the therapeutic process. Riley also begins to teach us how the basic wound mantra and good parent messages can begin to heal us from the inside out. It's like the music. Exactly. Your bubble. Can you talk about the bubble? Sure. My premise is that our beliefs create our reality, not the other way around. And I call it a premise because it's part of my belief and it works for me in my life, but I can't prove it. Um, I just know that believing that works for me. So as a therapist, what I want to do is I want to I want to help somebody change their beliefs about themselves and the world uh, to modify their bubble. You had a huge shift, and you shared that on your website uh, with a psychic reading. Oh, right. I don't yeah. know if you want to share that or not. Oh, yeah, sure. I think that was really... Sure. Uh, yeah, that uh, was very cool. Yeah, very inspirational. Okay. Um, well, I was approaching my 80th birthday. Uh, several years actually maybe four years or so and I'm I feel like I'm coasting I'm happy I like my life I like my friends I like what I do I'm slowing down I have to quit go playing golf because my body doesn't want to do that and I'm just feeling fine and these are the last years of my life and I'm just gonna hang up I was enjoying loafing and uh, my wife and I heard about a, uh, a really talented psychic, a friend of ours that we respect, you know, had had a good experience with her. And so we each gave each other readings for our birthdays in December. So I got, I was, I was taught, it's a phone thing, and I felt like the psychic uh, woman was, was getting me and that she was the real thing. I could, I could get a sense about that. And she kept talking, she said, well, yeah, says, you got, you're going to be fine for a while. You're going to be doing really good. Uh, you're doing well now. You've, you've handled the main karma. You know, you don't have any big stuff to work through. You're, and and you're, on your, you're on your path. And I, I was feeling really, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> Validated. Think that, I think that's true. <laughs> and, uh, that sounds good. And, and she kept saying, I, it looks like you'll live... God, you live to your late 90s and be good. And wait a minute, no, no, you're gonna live to 102, and you're <laughs> gonna be sharp right up to the end. Whoa! And so anyway, came off the call, feeling validated and feeling energized and kind of excited. Well, and 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 also feeling like 
this coasting thing. I didn't. It wasn't particularly interested in coasting in this place, you know. And I thought, but what if what if she said was BS? And then I thought, well, I don't care if it's BS or not. I feel great, mm -hmm. so I'm going to live as if it's true. And I, that was a decision I made, and it felt right. It felt like a, a uh, an organic decision. It wasn't just a mental thing, you know. It was. It felt I was living it. And uh, as a result, uh, this is now a year, almost two years later, year and a half later, in spite of web phobia, I've created a blog. I've, I've written several articles since then and now have an accumulated accumulation of articles of, about being human and, and the interface of body, mind, and spirit in psychotherapy. Uh, I've, uh, I'm volunteering now at Southern California Counseling Center. Oh, they're so lucky supervision. to have you. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> I am just busy. What about the physical aspect? Any golfing or any? No, no? Um, although I had, I had one of, uh, I had my uh, cardiologist tell me that uh, I, I shouldn't be getting that tired playing golf. Maybe there's something that can be done about it to get a physical, so I'm going to have a physical soon and see if mm -hmm. there's something about that. But I don't, I don't miss it all that much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, it's really a non-issue. Mm -hmm. How busy were you before you had slowed down? So just um, besides the golf, I mean, were you always sort of a high achiever? Were you always? No, were you... I've never been a high-powered type A uh, person. I like I've taken an afternoon nap every for years. Uh, I'm um, very pro nap. But yes, that's what they say. <laughs> Research says that's an important but, thing. But I naps. and I always had a to-do list. You know, I always and and there were times when I would pressure myself through to to finish the list by such and such a time. I had to do these things and so on. But in that period I was talking about where I slowed down, I was I didn't have such an intense do list. So Purposely. now I have my do list back. <laughs> Role models. Mm, good question. It's a curveball. Well, my my mentor uh, Jack Rosenberg, Dr. Rosenberg, uh, it was really important to me. I had uh, another mentor uh, who, when I began learning to be a therapist, uh, Denton Roberts uh, was a minister and a marriage family therapist who I just respect uh, tremendously. He was down to earth, kind of easy going, easy talking, very bright, very talented guy. He's deceased, they're, they're both gone now. Um, mentors. Oh, in golf, probably Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> So when you wake up, do you just wake up happy or is there something you do to be in a mindset for your day? Well, I, 
I don't wake I never wake up dreading the day um, but I have to get my body moving I mean I'm almost 81 years old now and it, I have been so I drink a big glass of water and every other day I go to the gym oh, wow. and I do about a 40-minute workout nice um, it's inspiring. Uh, days I don't go to the gym, I revel in no, nothing imme immediately to do. <laughs> Your off day. Um, and when I'm off, I make a point of breathing and journaling. Uh, I'll, I'll do this, this breathing I was telling you about. Uh, it really gets me in a centered, alive, loosens up all the creaks and kinks and stuff. Have a good breakfast. I, I eat a substantial breakfast. It's my probably the biggest meal of the day for me. I have lunch with friends. And you know, my meditation, my connection to spirit and to my core is seeing clients mm -hmm. and, te and teaching, you know, doing the, the mentoring. I tune in to a deep place and um, it's just it flows and I just feel really good. When you're talking about breathing and you're talking about, you know, taking the time to do that breathing, it, it makes me think about, I, I meditate, I try, it is, no, don't try. I aim, it is my intention, it is my standard practice to get to the office early enough so I have time enough to meditate before I'm going to see clients. It's harder to do it on a on a regular basis at home because my dog really loves to, you know, bother me. I don't bother me too, because it doesn't really bother me. It kind of amuses me when I'm meditating. She always wants my attention. She's always like scratching at my leg. So it's a little more difficult, the, you know, being actually in my own living space. But being at the office before I see clients, that's where I sit down and I do, I do focus on the breathing and I, I breathe in and out as if I'm breathing in and out of a straw that's kind of what I visualize to kind of you know and sometimes out of my nose but I, you know I try to breathe in through mm -hmm. as if uh, as if I'm taking in a straw um, but that's that's meditation for me um, and I think about what you were talking about before too like looking around and naming objects mm -hmm. I will I will do that in my head about sounds, things that I'm thinking uh, instead of a whole thought. I just you know think about like ground, you know, carpet, whatever it is that I'm feeling or sensing, the car, what I'm hearing uh, to kind of get me back. Is your breathing practice part of your meditation too, or is it more an active like exercise? No, it's part of my meditation. The breathing, this particular kind of breathing, does several things. Um, it's not just the breath, but it's also physical motions, bilateral uh, motions. Uh, standing cross crawl, you lift one opposite arm and leg while you breathe. It's CrossFit. And was, <laughs> yeah. And, um, it um, stimulates the central nervous system. Uh, it oxygenates the blood. It releases endorphins in the brain. 
and it releases muscular holding and organic holding in the body so that there are no blocks to energy flow in the body. Hmm. And so when you've done a good session of this breathing, you just tingle all over. You got burbles and tingles and action and you just, you feel it all over. And it, to generalize, it's like being fully alive right now in this moment, focused and just feeling good. I've, I've had people go into Satori on, uh, in, in session. For those breathing. who don't know, could you explain Satori? Well, it's just, it's a sense of, of cosmic awareness. It's a sense of being one with, recently uh, 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 a man I'm working with, he said, I feel like I'm part of the fabric of the universe. I went, whoa. <laughs> Dude, you totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is so so that's different than attunement. Uh, attunement is about a relationship, isn't it? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I don't know anything about Satori, but you you said cosmic awareness, and so it's it's being. Being. Uh huh. Yeah. Simple. Being. Mm -hmm. Alive. Energized. Grounded. And present. I just started a, a new client who has been on a spiritual path for years. He's 60 years old. And he's been taking ayahuasca a lot in the last few years. And his job is to be human. He's been avoiding being human for years, mm. all his, his whole life, because it was just too painful mm. in his, his basic wound. So the task for him will be, and my task will be to guide him to acceptance and, and experience of being human, being in his body and enjoying it. Stop running. Uh-huh. Yeah. Does the ayahuasca experience for that client, I mean, how, how does that resonate with you? Is that something you can work with, or do you feel like... Because um, ayahuasca is yeah, can you explain uh, it? Yeah, it's hallucinogenic, it's some vine. kind of it's, it's a plant yes. uh, concoction of plants, uh, psychotropic yeah. plants in South America. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. Come together right now over me. Is that something that helps? with some clients in your experience or do you feel like that's uh, just another block for some people? Well, uh, okay. Um, a, a lot of people on spiritual paths have decided that it's not, that it's a bad idea to be human, to be incarnate. And they spend their life trying to get out of their physical body. And to that extent, it can be counterproductive as an escape yeah as an escape uh, it's a it's not an unusual coping strategy okay I mean I, I escaped reading books I escaped drawing pictures uh, that kind of thing uh, and and I enjoyed my share of marijuana in the day because it's a it's a space out kind of experience mm -hmm. 
and I'm not, uh, and I know people who have just, well, I profited from my five acid trips. It showed me that there was more to life than just my five senses. I proved, you know, I had an experience that there was more than just my five senses. And so I used it very effectively. I mean, I, I, I haven't done it in years, but it was a good experience for me. And I can see how people can really profit with the ayahuasca experience. And I've talked to people who have, but you want to also be human. <laughs> yeah, it can't be a permanent state. I'm sorry. If you can tolerate it. Sure. Again, I think it's, a, it's very interesting. I'm coming across a lot of clients with trauma and mushrooms. Mushrooms are really big right now. Right. I don't know if it psilocybin. So, that's what, that's mm -hmm. that. I, that's the mushroom. I haven't heard about that for so long, and all of a sudden now, I'm having a lot of trauma people with mushrooms. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Now that are they saying that they experienced trauma from a mushroom adventure or experience, or or using mushrooms to process that trauma? What? Uh, I don't even think we're that far. <laughs> they they don't know, and I don't know. I I uh, it's just something that is happening where it's old trauma and new trauma. So it's interesting in this generation or the millennials. Uh, there's a, a common way they now get high, which is they have kind of like a responsible person who is sober to right. watch the trip. So they're not mm -hmm. uh, well. That's probably dangerous. because their their parents taught them that too. I think that that's something that I've I've heard. I've never done a, a hallucinogen. Well, that's not true. I actually I took ecstasy. I've taken ecstasy a couple of times when I was younger, um, but I never I've never done acid or or mushrooms, and not for any particular reason other than my own. I think terror. I think I was always like more afraid of what I was going find out but I, I have I think having a, a guru or having somebody it's just like you're describing EMDR or this breathing and and a lot of the somatic work that you're doing to have somebody there who's guiding you through mm -hmm. the trauma uh, and being able to know when to stop you from going too far because the hours almost up uh, and you've got to get back to your life or you may reach your limit and what you're able to handle, I think that it's a smart thing to do, but I don't know if necessarily um, a cohort, like if you are a 16-year-old with another 16-year-old as your Sherpa on, a <laughs> on an acid trip is going to really be that, that helpful, but it, it, I'm glad that they have responsible people. Just interesting, the themes and the patterns of society and um, one of the questions, Riley, I have for you is, do you ever find that people are coming in using marijuana as you proceed or not with EMDR-ish ideas? Uh, anybody know that you're going to have an EMDR session and then self-medicate to come in? That's kind of a common thing, too, I see. I haven't seen that. Are you talking about someone, are you talking about making it part of the therapeutic experience? Or are you talking about somebody who's preparing themselves for a 
uh, an off, uh, a challenging emotional experience, so they get loaded. Yes, that. <laughs> okay, no, I, I actually I've never experienced that. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to be high and come into your office, oh, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't work with them yeah. under those circumstances. Yeah. No. So again, it's the the uh, therapeutic boundaries, but. Um, I think it would be significant to process that they're in so much pain that they needed to be either numbed out or wh whatever it would mean for them uh, right. about that. Yeah, because uh, it's I, so vulnerable. Gonna, I would imagine when I work with somebody that's using uh, any drug really uh, as part of their coping strategy, yeah. uh, I, I'm going to want them to understand that and to acknowledge it, I mean, if they can't acknowledge it, then there's a problem there, and I, uh, that has to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. If someone is uh, using uh, a substance in an addictive way, uh, then my goal is to help them quit using it. Uh, because it's getting in the way. It's one of those coping, so many of our coping strategies are, 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 are initially were for coping with the basic wound, but turn out to be a real problem that perpetuates the whole thing. And so I wanna, I wanna work with that first. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't do um, uh, attachment work really with somebody that's in, in their addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, I have them clean up the addiction first. Right. Yeah. So in somatic, uh, in somatic therapies and in the integrative body psychotherapy, I mean, what are, okay, we've talked about EMDR. What are some other methods? Okay, and breathing. What, and you just sort of were demonstrating a, a kind of a combination between a physical movement and the uh -huh. breathing. What other kinds of methods and tools do you use or are typically used in integrative body psychotherapy? Okay, uh, I've been debating whether to share with you uh, as an experience uh, a thing we call the basic wound mantra. I was actually thinking, wouldn't it be kind of interesting to offer it, to offer it as an experience um, but l let me just tell you about it and let's talk about whether to do it or not. Okay. When I first introduced someone to the concept of the basic wound, uh, I explained it as we've talked about it so they know what I'm talking about. And then I invite them to feel the feeling of their basic wound. And then I say that, that feeling and the thought that goes with it, is the way any little girl or boy would feel who had a mother, who had a mother, who didn't receive and therefore couldn't give loving attunement. Mm -hmm. So the child always felt they weren't good enough. And the truth is, they are good enough. They always were, they are now. That feeling is not about now, and it's not about you, and it never was. And there is a, for, for most people, they, they get something right quick. Some occasionally don't. But for many, many people, they just get it. And it's the first moment of healing the basic wound. And it's very powerful. That they understand, they grasp this concept, and it just really resonates with them. Well, it's an experience. 
it's I take them through an experience um, and so what I would do is I would say all right would you like to try it out and understanding that it's it's deep and and some people it it begins a process of healing but there's pain before you come to the healing so with that in mind maybe maybe it's not a good idea to broadcast this that somebody might might want to try it and then have a have a bad experience because there's nobody there to guide them and protect them right but it is something that um if somebody were interested in doing you could seek out Oh, yeah. A, a, oh, yeah. a somatic yeah. therapist and, and somebody who does this kind of mm-hmm. work. Yeah. So do you, do you mind if I run through it one more time a slightly different way? Please. Uh, I, okay. When I think about, when I get upset, I, I Riley, I, I have a knot in my solar plexus and a, cl- a clog, a, a stoppage in my throat. Like, I, I want to cry stopping the tears and there is a shame that about myself I'm just not right and that's my basic wound that is the experience of my basic wound so now I'm going to do this for me that is the way any little boy would feel who had a mother had a mother who didn't receive and therefore couldn't give loving attunement. And I take that in. I feel it. And I can feel, I can feel the release. And the words are, you mean I'm not crazy? (laughs) You mean I'm normal? So the child always felt shame. And the truth is, I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be. And always have been. The feeling is not about now, it's about then. And it's not about me, and it never was. And right now in this moment, by the way, I feel tears, I feel soft, I feel like I want to cry because I know it's true and it's such a relief. It goes right to the heart of it. Mm-hmm, it does. Now, mm. Beverly Katane Morse and Jack Rosenberg are the people who, who came up with this? They're my te- They were my. They ha- are my teachers. I want to make sure they have credit. And you've internalized them. I mean, I you, you mentioned it's Jack me. as your as your role model as as a role model and a mentor to you. That's one of these things that I talk about with clients, and I think about myself. Is, is we carry people with us, even you know, even if. They are no longer on this plane <laughs> or whether they are just on the other side of the country and you just your lives have gone in different directions but i i can still carry these people with me that are the good messages and so this also was something that you wrote about on your blogs uh on rileysbubble.com go and check it out about good parent messages that fascinates me because mm-hmm. I, I thought oh these are these are gold this is great I love this could you explain what good parent messages are and how you use them sure good parent messages are a collection of specific messages that are necessary for the healthy evolution of a person 
starting from birth through leaving home. The first ones are very basic and primal. I love you. I want you. You are special to me. You light up my life. I, that's not one of them, but that's uh -huh. what you're special to me means. I'm here for you. I'll always be here for you. You don't have to be alone anymore. Uh, it's who you are I love, not what you do. Mm -hmm. That's a biggie for a lot of people. Yeah. You can trust me. I've got your back. Mm -hmm. Those are good parent messages. Those are the early ones. Mm -hmm. uh, later ones, um, I'll tell you no but sometimes, but that's because I love you. Uh, I give you permission to be a, a sexual being and not lose me. I'm proud of you and I know you'll succeed. I mean, can you feel, can you feel that? Yes. Yeah. It is, it just, it washes over you and, and feels so good. So we learn to give them to ourselves. And we can, I mean, um, try, on, try, um, try the one about, it's who you are, I love, not what you do. Take, take a breath, and imagine you're talking to that primal part of you, and it's not what you do, but who you are that I love. And say it out loud. It's not who you are. It's not what you do. It's not what you do. Taking Dr. Floyd. It's not what you do, but who you are. Question mark? Is that what? No, not no? a question mark. It's what. It's not what you do, but who you are that I love. It's not what you do, but who you are that, that I love. That I love. It's who you really are that I love, not what you do. And notice what you experience in your body. It's emotional. Oh, yeah. So many nights. Don't miss part four of our conversation with Riley K. Smith. We talk more about what it means to be human. I indulge in a bit of an overshare. And we discuss how we can push past those shaming voices inside our heads to stay focused on the things in our lives that truly bring us joy. Again, if you're digging this podcast, Help us out by heading over to iTunes or Podbean and subscribe. And if you get a chance to leave us a review and give us five stars, we'd really appreciate it. We're always happy to hear from you. So don't forget you can reach us with questions and feedback through our websites or by emailing us at relationshipshowla at gmail.com. been listening to The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny, a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Jenny J.B. Wilson see clients in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and can be found online at www.doctorwendyoconnor.com and www.jennijbwilson.com. For entertainment purposes only. Up next. There was one on there that really stuck out to me. I may be wrong. Maybe I'm making this one up. But something about it's okay to be different from me.